You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30 out 6, and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit SavageArms.com. Chad Lachance, host of The Fishful Thinker, is on the show. We discuss coaching fishing tournaments, his decision to focus on the fishing side, cooking and game care, and more. I hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to Tales from the Field, presented by Outdoor Edge. Stories, tips, tactics, and in-depth conversations coming to you from industry leaders. Let's get into the show. Uh, do you, pri- I guess I should ask, do you primarily archery hunt or rifle hunt or do you do a lot of both? I have done both. I've, I've harvested deer, elk, barrel hogs uh, with a bow. But I primarily rifle hunt these days, okay. and that was because when I started fishing for a living, it's hard to make a living fishing, and archery season is August and September, and typically, I still need to be fishing a bunch at that point. So Coffee. it got to where I didn't have the time to put into to being a, you know, a, an archer, a good archer. I don't think archery is the kind of thing you can, you can just take up and do with a month before season, you know? Right. And I think if archery is for sure a year-round thing. And when I did archery hunt a bunch, it was for sure a year-round thing for us. And so these days I rifle hunt primarily. Uh, I hunt primarily public land, although I we do cross over a little bit. I hunt, as you probably saw in that picture, uh, a little bit of a farm country that surrounds state wildlife areas. Uh, but primarily rifle hunt. I do a lot of predator hunting as well, coyotes, stuff like that. Cool. Uh, when it comes to shooting coyotes, I only shoot mangy ones. I'm very selective harvest. So we've had a mange outbreak for more than a decade in my general area. And so we shoot mangy coyotes and we don't shoot the ones that appear to be healthy when they show up, they get, a, they get a pass. And, uh, and that's just, uh, on a, on a, an ethics thing, you know, and, um, that having said that, I'd love to have a fully haired out, beautiful coyote for the pelt, but, uh, we hadn't gone that. So hadn't done that yet. So, uh, so at any rate, the, I do a lot of that. I do a little bit of bird hunting as well, uh, primarily upland, although, Last year, I did some goose and duck hunting. 
the only thing I don't do a lot of, and we probably don't even need to talk about is ice fishing. I'm not a fan of ice fishing. I don't like being on the ice. I'm originally from South Florida and I'm not really comfortable on the ice for whatever reason. Gotcha. Um, and so I don't ice fish and we've done a little bit of it. I mean, I've done enough to know what I'm doing with it, but I don't, I don't care for it. And it's not something we include on, on our content anymore uh, and have it in years. But, uh, but other than that, I, you know, I do it. I do a lot of saltwater fishing, inshore stuff, snook and redfish. I wintered in Florida last year after hunting seasons were over and the, and the ISC shows and stuff were all over. Then I hit the road and went to Florida and went down there and went snook fishing for five weeks, um, you know, just to get, get my system going i'm doing the same thing again this year as well so inshore i fly fish or spin fish or bass fish i'm equally comfortable with any of the above uh so you name it from traditional fly fishing all the way to you know a, a hardcore bass fishing i won the high school national championship in bass fishing i coached that and uh in 2016 we won the national championship beat 300 teams to win the national championship holy smokes uh, yeah, so we we I have a, a relatively, you know, strong competitive background in bass fishing as well. I've fished everything from pro level tournaments down, and uh, you know, but I mean, just last week I was fly fishing in the high country. So it just depends on you know what what the week holds. Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's crazy. I've never. I mean, I don't mind fishing. Um, I don't ever catch a dang thing. So. <laughs> My kid, well, like, do I. that's why I do radio. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here you are talking about winning bass tournaments and then, then you follow that by saying, you know, catch anything. That's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> my, my son, he's funny cause he loves to fish. Um, and we'll go out and he'll catch stuff. And then he just rubs it in my face. We're like, well, dad, you don't ever catch anything, do you? And I'm just like, I'm like, thanks, buddy. Like, just, just go ahead and pour some salt in that open wound. Why don't you? <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, and, and these kids these days, I mean, the kids that I've been coaching, they, they're going to be so much better anglers than we are because they're, they have so many resources available to them. And so the only thing I have to do as a coach is get them to follow their instincts a little bit. They have the book knowledge. You know, they, they understand the, the, the nuances of lures and stuff. They just don't understand how that fits in with the natural world necessarily when they're in their teenage years, you know, and uh time you put those two things together. I mean, some of the kids I've coached are incredible bass anglers at very young age. You know, they've, they've got the big picture. They're, they're, they're adept with 25 different presentations or comfortable with 10 rods on the deck of the boat and rotating through them. And uh, you know, they're, they're solid anglers. You'd be surprised how good some of the kids are these days. That, yeah, it's, so with your, with your, uh, are you still coaching sometimes? Yep. Yep. I still coach some. Yep. This year, of course, with the Rona and everything getting weird, we, uh, everything became these online tournaments and, uh, and I bailed out of that because it's just not, there's no chance for accountability or anything else. And unfortunately I don't give people enough, enough benefit of the doubt. And ironically, people that have not been names in the tournament scene under under our normal tournament rules, kids that have not been good under normal norm, normal tournament rules, are suddenly winning. And uh, you know, it's because there's no they fish wherever they want. There's nobody around. They're you know whatever. So there's no talent. So I kind of bailed on that for this year. But when they get back to traditional tournaments, then for sure I will. When when we're back in the boat with the kid, and it's a kid and a coach, and doing what you know what sports in my mind supposed to be, then yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll do it some more. We, I competed in the national championship in 2015 with the same team of kids and we finished dead last. And I told, and I knew why I knew why we finished dead last. I mean, I knew what we had done wrong 
And I told the kids, if we can win the state championship again, I'll come back. I'll drive all the way back to Kentucky and we'll do this again. Spend another 10 days in Kentucky trying to win the national championship. But you got to, you got to promise me that next time this, we're doing it this way instead. And, uh, came back, won the state, went back to Kentucky a year later and, and won the whole thing. So it went from dead last to, to first place in a 300 boat tournament. <laughs> well, that's a little bit of an improvement. <laughs> Yeah, right. Bassmaster Magazine wrote it up, and and uh, and they 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 were very nice about the whole thing about how you know we we kept our head in the game. I knew after day one we were we were in trouble on the first tournament, and then we were scrambling. You know, we were we were down you know twenty seven to nothing in the first quarter, kind of thing, and it just wasn't a, no chance to catch up. You know, but I knew the next year we had a different strategy that that it would come. I recognized what would happen if if we had taken different tack. And so did my kids. We had a thousand miles of driving cross country to figure it out, you know, to, to communicate to them, look, this is where the wheels came off. The wheels actually came off in practice. And, uh, and you know, and here's what we need to do if we can get back. And we came and we won the state by four ounces. So we barely won the state and got to go back and do it again. And the second time we were 19th on the first day, fourth on the second day, and first on the third day. That's, that's crazy. So when, when you talk about, that scenario and you're standing back and you're looking at the big picture as a coach should, right? Um, you, when you, when you're, cause I, I clear, I don't know near as much about fishing as you do, obviously. And you say, yeah, I knew exactly what we did wrong. Like to me, when you say that I'm thinking, well, what do you, would you, should you have been using worms instead of lures? Like, obviously that's a very dumbed down response, but sure. in, in all seriousness, I, when you say, yeah, I knew exactly what we were doing wrong. I'm thinking, well, what do you mean? Like, can can you kind of elaborate on on that? Well, yeah, for sure. Because it's like this: let's say you're hunting elk, but you also have a deer tag and a bear tag in your pocket. Well, now you're hunting many species. Ancient Indian proverb: when you chase many rabbits, you catch none. We tried to fish deep, uh, a very traditional deep pattern, and we tried to fish a very traditional shallow pattern, and we thought, oh, well, one-two punch will be the best answer because then no matter what the weather does or whatever, we'll have a good, you know, a good strategy, you know, cause it's a three day tournament on a lake that's 110 miles long. It's a gig- it's the biggest lake east of the Mississippi river. It's a gigantic lake. So, or the biggest man-made lake. And so we basically tried to split our practice time between two fundamentally different patterns. And on top of that, we were basically me as a coach providing some Intel and one of the the parents of one of the students who had done extensive amount of research also providing intel. And so what really happened is we had two chiefs and no Indians, and we had two fundamentally different patterns we were going to try to exploit. So we divided our practice time in half, which means we never really dialed either one of them in. And when when the tournament came up and our shallow strategy failed on the first day, then we're scrambling. Uh you know, I had put too much confidence in that shallow pattern. And so now we're scrambling because we're now we got to play catch up. And the only way to catch a really giant bag of fish on that lake is deep. And everybody knows that. And so we went swung for the bleachers. Well, now we're behind and we're, we're throwing long bombs every play from scrimmage. And, you know, you just can't do that. And so, but I knew that I, I knew that part of the way through day two that we had messed that up. And so the next year when we went back, we didn't even bring equipment with us to fish deep. We are we are going to live and die by the shallow bite. That's the strength of our team. And if, if we can focus for four days of practice on nothing but locating and patterning shallow fish and how we can get them to bite, we'll be fine. And we'll go with the tortoise and the hare thing. Instead of trying to weigh 25 pounds one day and 12 pounds the next day, we're going to weigh 15 pounds every day. 
you know, 16 pounds every day and see what happens. And that's why that's exactly what we did. Our bags were within like a pound and a half, two pounds of each other every day. And we just slowly worked our way up the ranks as the people that were swinging for, for big bags of fish couldn't reproduce their results day in and day out. So uh, we basically just focused on chasing one rabbit and we ran that sucker down and caught him. And then I cut him up with a razor light and we hooked him. that's a different part of the story Uh, but uh, but jokes aside yeah we really just focused on one presentation focused on fishing our strengths and applying that to the fish that we could catch and and then the real irony of the whole thing and this is this is kind of funny because everyone like to give us a hard time all the traditional bass anglers well how can a team from colorado it's colorado's a trout state it's a fly fishing state be like a team from montana you know how can a team from Colorado come and beat up all the Southern boys and all the traditional bass fishing? And I, and Oh, would you guys fly fish? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was all these jokes going around, lots of them. And I finally disclosed to them all that that really ironic part was how I located the fish was following the hexagena mayflies. So anyone that fly fishes knows that's a gigantic mayfly. It's one of the biggest mayflies. They come out of standing water and those hexagena mayflies are a big bug and they hatch in mass. And when they do, they coat the entire side of the boat barns and the docks with these husks that are coming off of these bugs when they come out of the water to hatch. Well, what follows those hexagenia mayflies are big gizzard chat. And when big gizzard chat follow the, the mayflies, the bass follow the gizzard chat. So all I had to do was pull into a cove and literally look at all the docks. And if there was mayflies on all the docks, I knew we could catch bass in there. If I went the next cove and there wasn't a bunch of mayflies on the docks, we wouldn't even get a ride out. We just fire up the motor and run right next to the next cove. And we did that until we had about 30 coves that were loaded with mayflies, which are loaded with shad, which means they're loaded with bass. And once you know where the fish are, then it's just a matter of how to get them to bite. And uh, and that was something we already knew going in, how we could get them to bite if we could find them. So it really came down to following the mayflies, which is kind of ironic for a team from Colorado um, to follow the mayflies to catch bass. And nobody, every time I told any of the editors like Bassmaster, any of those guys about it, they were cracking Have you ever dreamt of having the true Western elk hunt experience? I'm talking screaming bulls, the smell of pine and elk wallows, a bow in your hand as the herd bull is coming into shooting range. Outdoor Edge is giving away a free elk hunt with Colorado Premier Outfitters out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and the chance to hunt with president and founder of Outdoor Edge, David Block. To enter the drawing, go to OutdoorEdge.com and click on Elk Hunt Giveaway. Again, that is OutdoorEdge.com and click on Elk Hunt Giveaway. Now, let's get back to the show. That's, 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 I would have never in my wildest dreams imagined breaking down fishing, um, to that extent. And like, like we said, um, I I don't mind fishing, but you know, to that extent, I've never even thought of doing it. And that's, that's a, that's a really great way to look at it. And obviously you can equate that to all sorts of hunting scenarios and everything like that, but it just, it, it, amazes me um to break down a situation like that step by step and put all the pieces together and be like hey yeah this is this is where the fish are going to be now we simply have to figure out what the fish want to eat i guess in a sense and we're going to go in there we're going to do what we do best um and what a what a powerful thing to kind of touch on also is playing into your strengths 
And I mean, that goes obviously into so many facets of life, but playing into your strengths and focusing on that and perfecting that strength, as opposed to trying to be good, be decent at a bunch of things. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's, that's, I think one of the things that as I've matured as an outdoorsman period is what I do. I figured out, I don't have to know every fishing technique. I need to be really good at certain fishing techniques such that I can apply them to whatever I run into. Uh, same thing with hunting. I mean, I, I, I can't sit in a tree stand. I'll just tell you the honest truth. I, I have the <laughs> attention span of a squirrel. You put me in a tree stand and I am one poor dude in no time flat. But on the other hand, I can sit behind a pair of binoculars for five days straight and stare at a hillside waiting, you know, in, in that scenario. There, because I just feel like I'm covering more ground. I, I don't know. It's just it's just my strength. I'm a spot and stock guy. Okay, fine. So that's what I do. I'm not I'll be the first guy to tell you that more whitetails are killed out of tree stands, but I don't like it. And uh and so I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at fishing very deep for largemouth bass. So I, I don't like it. I'm not very good at it. And therefore trying to put it in your tournament strategy makes no sense, you know? Right. And but the reason the reason I did is because the book will tell you on that lake at that time of year that all the biggest ones are deep. Well, that's fine, but it doesn't matter if you can't catch them. And when you're <laughs> trying to find them deep, you know they're they're scattered all over the lake and they can be really hard to locate and really sensitive current. Da 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 da. But the fish up shallow are doing what bass traditionally do. They're fat and lazy and sitting there waiting for a shad to swim by. And that fits my mentality a little bit better is to go hunt those fish down really accurate casts and and whatever than to try to sit on a school of fish in 30 feet of water and get one of them to bite that way so you know it's, it's a strength thing and and uh, and like i said if i'm happy doing whatever it is i'm doing then i'm, I'm i can do it really well that's half I'm the battle doing it, i don't have the discipline to do it right yeah and that's that's like uh again that goes with a lot of things you know it's it's incredible how much um, more efficient you will be with anything you do if you truly enjoy it and you're happy with it. Right. Um, yeah, it's just, absolutely. that's just crazy. Um, cause I, I'm, I'm sure much like you, I mean, I've done a lot of things in my life, you know, jobs for, for instance, that, that I just was wake up in the morning, like, Oh, I have to go do this again. <laughs> you know? And it just sucks, like, yeah. you know, and then you find something that you truly like, and it's, it's just a whole different ball game. But so with with your with your fishing and your hunting, at what point? You know, how long ago was it that you're like, okay, I want to give the the fishing a go, and that's when you kind of had to trade off um, your archery seasons and stuff like that. And we're like, yep, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna focus on giving fishing a go. And and with that, what what does your fishing season and your hunting season and your fall kind of look like now that you focus heavily on the fishing side? Well, it, I've wanted to fish my whole life. I mean, that's the, I was an, I'm a natural fisherman. I'm the only child of a single mom, and her. We didn't have any money. I was we were dead broke growing up in Florida, and so what we did for entertainment was fish because I could go. My mom could take me over to the inlet. I could catch fiddler crabs, put them on a hook, turn them into snapper, and we could go eat them. And uh, and so as a wee little kid, that was my thing. And I always wanted to do it, and I've always enjoyed doing it. Well, then I got in a position in life where I was making pretty good money. I was in the finance business. I was making pretty good money, never had any kids. My ex-wife and I decided at the time that we were going to do a, a, a kids event just, just to give back. So we were going to take some mentors. We were going to get some kids from a youth mentoring group and uh, 
and do a little tournament from them. So we we got a, a group called Port Collins Partners, which is they mentor at-risk youth. Called them up and said, hey, we're going to hold a fishing event. We want you to bring a bunch of your kids out. Called Colorado Parks and Wildlife. They said, yeah, yeah, we'll dump some willing to see positive trout in this landlocked pond. And uh, and you guys can have at it and uh, whatever. So we got a couple permits together, threw a little bit of money at it. And uh, we were in a good spot in life, like I said. And, and through this event together, well, there was like 30 kids and, and all their mentors. And by the end of it, all the mentors were like, geez, man, you should be teaching adults. And I was really going crazy with uh, with my job. I hated my job and, and whatever. And I kept saying I wanted to fish. I wanted to fish. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to get a fishing guide license. I'm going to start teaching adults. So I got I got a fishing guide that was back in 2002. And I uh, got a guide license, started running some guide business, got a permit here on a local lake, started running some business as strictly as an education based thing. Just, hey, we don't we don't do fish porn. We don't. This is not a destination fishery where you're going to come catch the biggest fish you've ever seen. You're going to come here. I'm going to teach you fundamental stuff and you take that to wherever it is you go fishing. That was my goal from the get go. And uh, and then I got a call from a from a TV show host by the name of Terry Wickstrom. I had been doing his radio show and uh, and just giving him a guide report, you know, an on the water report from from local guide type thing. And he called and said, hey, I want to host. I want you to be a guest on my TV show on that lake. Would you do that? And about halfway through the day, the producer was like, hey, you're better at this than he is. You ought to have your own TV show. And so I didn't really thought much about it. And um, and then the opportunity came up later that I could host one of their shows without them. And that was in 2007. And Terry was, was sick and he couldn't host the show and he needed someone to do it. And I went and hosted it by myself and that became my pilot. And uh, sold it to the network and went from there. And, and so I've been full time since 2006 um doing this and my tv show launched in 2009 and we've been uh 280 episodes or so at this point we've been at it a long time and uh it's full time and i as far as the hunting side of it goes uh i've been doing that forever and it's just i never talked about it i kind of kept it for myself like well okay if i'm gonna fish publicly i'm gonna share all my fishing knowledge i'm gonna i'm gonna keep my hunting to myself and so I just kind of did that. But as time went on, it, it, they kind of blur. And, and I've joked that there's two kinds of outdoorsmen. There's hunters that like to fish and there's fishermen that like to hunt. And uh, either way, people do a little bit of both, just like yourself. And uh, and so it occurred to me that it'd be smart to start bringing some of this in. My title partner is Sportsman's Warehouse. They've been with me since 2004. And uh, and they were big on the whole idea. I write for, for Sportsman's News Magazine, same thing. They wanted a little bit of crossover. And, and as you've already alluded to, some of the lessons from hunting pass over to fishing and vice versa. So this point, I fish a lot up until about, oh, the end of October. And then I'll basically focus almost solely on hunting all the way through the end of the hunting seasons in January. And then I'll go back to fishing. I'll fish exclusively in the in the early spring. And uh if, you know, like March, April type stuff, I'll fish exclusively and then go from there. So I basically am either loading or unloading the truck all the time, it seems like. And uh, some days it's a shotgun, some days it's a fishing rod, some days it's a rifle, you know, whatever. But I just go back and forth during the fall seasons. Uh, but I fish because fishing is not the easiest way to make a living. You've got to put the hours in. You've got to build the content. I basically fish almost exclusively uh from basically march let's say till september wow that's 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 a long time to be fishing i that you you brought up a a good point though with uh you know needing to put in the time fishing and 
I, you know, I, I film, so I film for some hunting shows and stuff like that, but, um, I do a little bit of editing for some people, but also myself. And I know what it, what it kind of takes to put together an episode and things like that. Um, so when, when you're out there, and you're fishing, what, what type of, what type of content, especially, I mean, when I think of fishing out on the ocean, I'm like, okay, well, what, what are you doing while you're waiting for something to bite? Right. And then that flips over into my mind. I'm like, well, what are you filming? <laughs> you, you know, what are you using for B-roll and, and, uh, and filler content and all that kind of stuff. So what, what do you guys focus on, uh, while you're don't have something on the line? Well, we're education based. So we focus on how do I get something on the line? So that time that we don't have something on the line, we try to work through and communicate the process of getting something on the line. So, uh, as I just alluded to, we don't, we don't do fish porn in my TV show either. Right. Um, we don't necessarily show you, we don't fish for five days and show you the three biggest <laughs> ones we caught. You know, our whole goal is to educate our audience. And so those times when we're, when we're not catching, actually in, involved with fighting a fish is communicating what we're doing to make that happen, to make sure that we get a fish on the line. So um, that's really what we focus on. And we don't script any of it either. Uh, I'm a big fan of a fish for what's biting, which is a big difference from a TV show versus a hunting show or a fishing show, I should say, versus a hunting show. Like we'll show up at a lake. I'll put the boat in the water. Most of the time I've never even been to the lake. I don't know anything about it. I don't do a tremendous amount of research. The only thing I look up is the water level, which way is it moving? How much is it moving? Uh, when did it start moving? I'm really picky about water levels and also the weather for the day or two leading up to when we're getting there. And those two things are all I research. I don't ever look at you know, who's catching what. I don't care about fishing reports. Fishing reports are incredibly unreliable and they'll put you, send you down a wrong path. So I, I refuse to look at fishing reports or anything like that. So basically what I do is I show up, I look at the conditions, I look at the lake with the film crew and we cruise around and go, okay, what's this lake going to give us today? I mean, we, we might spend 20 minutes just driving around looking, go, okay, what, what will this lake give us today? What are these conditions conducive to? Did we show up? Is this lake got bass and walleyes and we showed up in a perfect condition to catch largemouth? So let's go largemouth fishing. Or maybe maybe we show up and, and there's bluegills on bed somewhere. And so we go beat up on bluegills for a while. We don't have a preconceived notion. And that's what I advocate for other people as well. Unless you're in a tournament or something like that, when you go to the lake, fish for what's biting. And you may have heard of the Linders, the, the, the In Fisherman magazine, you know, those guys back in the day, how they got famous was just that. They, they showed up and fished for what was biting, and then it made it look like they always caught fish. Instead of going there saying, I'm going walleye fishing. Well, I'm going to go fishing, and whatever the conditions are, that's what we do. So what I try to communicate is how we decided these conditions are good for bass, for one, and then how we picked our initial patterns and starting points and things like that, and then how we worked it out. That's and, awesome. Uh, we, we, it's all about education. It's not about here I am with another big fish or here I am with a girl in a bikini and another big fish. It's education. You know, it's like, how did we get this big fish in this boat? And uh, that's really what it comes down to. I'm an artificial angler or artificial lure, you know, light tackle angler, meaning I, I like flies and artificial lures. We do almost nothing with bait, with actual bait. And that's just a personal preference. It's not a judgment. Uh, it's just, I find more satisfaction out of tricking a fish than I do feeding a fish. 
So that's what I'm better at. So I, we do everything with artificial lures, flies and lures only. Uh, we do everything with light tackle, not a, a big, like deep sea fishing type guy. When we do saltwater content, it's always inshore, snook, redfish, sea trout, stuff like that. And uh, we just educate. Um, also, Fishbowl Tanker Television doesn't have a tremendous amount of B-roll and beauty shots and background music. Because in my opinion, those are telling a story, not giving a lesson. And so I'm more about the lesson than I am the story. There's lots of shows that are great with the story. There's lots of people that are great with videography and music and flashy editing and all of that. I'm more about this is knowledge you need to go make your own story. And, uh, and so that's really what we do. That's cool. And I, I really like the way and respect the way that you approach that because I, um, you know, as, as I'm getting more and more into the outdoor industry, I can tell you that is something that I absolutely despise about Instagram is all of the people in bikinis holding the fish. And I just, yep. it just drives me nuts. Cause I'm like, that didn't do anything for I mean, I'm married. I got kids and everything like that doesn't do anything for me. Like if they had a description in there, well, this is the bait we use. This is, this is what we were doing. This is how I would be like, wow, that's super cool. Um, so I respect that a ton. And I think that's a really cool approach to, uh, to having a, a television show and everything like that. And I would assume that's, that's why you've been doing it since 2009. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and just for the record, I mirror that in my radio content. I mirror that in my writing content. That's I awesome. I mirror that in my newspaper columns. Um, you know, I just, I, I basically just want people to succeed in the outdoors. If yeah. they succeed in the outdoors, they'll have a good time. They'll see value in it. In the long run, they'll conserve it. And uh, and what what doesn't? I, I don't believe that outdoors is is, a, is something you can drive through and look at from the outside. You need to participate in it. And and if you participate in it and you have success, you'll continue to participate in it. And that's what we try to do. And and same thing with my hunting. I, I've mentored a few people hunting in the last say ten years. Um, and I enjoy that. I thoroughly enjoy that aspect of, of getting people out there hunting. And, and if I see one more TV show where the guy's like, well, I'd shoot that 190 inch white tail, but he's got that chip point on that one side. So we'll let him go till next, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, it, just, it just makes me want to throw up because yeah. it's so unrealistic for everybody watching. And it gives the industry a bad name in my opinion, you know? Yeah. So 100% yeah. agreed. And, and same thing goes, hard. yeah. And the same thing goes for when you see, um, some type of hunting show and they're hunting and they, and they, and they're like, well, we're, we're just going to, we're just going to wait for, you know, for the situation to be right. And I understand needing to wait. Like I understand, especially to say bow hunting, I understand everything's got to be right for that to happen. It, it, you don't just get 40 yards from an animal and then everything happens. Like that's obviously not how it works, but at the same point, the average person has four days to hunt or extended weekend right. or whatever else. And, and there's times when I see a show and, not, not because I'm knocking the person that, that has the time to wait, like good for you, but right, it would sure, also yeah, yeah. be great to know what they would do if their hunt ended in two days. Okay. Yeah, you and, know, and just for the record, my TV show is based on exactly that. Yeah. We film almost all of our TV shows in six hours or less. Yep. So in other words, That's I cool. show up at the lake, we go fish and we put that thing on the trailer and we communicate the lessons we learned. And the reason we do that is that's what Joe average does. He yep. doesn't go scout the lake for three days. He doesn't, you know, he gets, he gets some online report somewhere. He gets in his truck, he drives out there and he runs into whatever he runs into. 
and he fishes when he has time and whatever. And so that's why we do it the way we do it. Uh, in so many, so many scenarios, it's, I mean, we've done TV shows we filmed in two hours, you know, because mm-hmm. I've communicated everything I could communicate in that two hour period that that's going to give the person that what they need to go and apply it themselves. And so that's really what it comes down to for me. And, and in my own hunting, same thing, you, you deal with, you deal with public land. I deal with the same public land problems that everybody else deals with with public land. So you learn to adapt to it and, and how you make it work for you. And, you know, that's really what I think it comes down to. And I knew the fishing game had changed a bunch when I was at ICAST one year, which is the, the industry trade show for fishing, of course. And, uh, and a couple of the girls I recognized from Instagram came walking up in these little tiny booty shorts with logos from their sponsors on their butts. And oh, I literally, I pushed one of them. I pushed one. I was at the Costa Sunglass Party, and I pushed one of them. She had a sponsor who I happened to share, and I asked her, "What? What do you think about this latest whatever widget?" I won't drop the sponsor's name. Well, I haven't ever seen that, but I heard it's pretty cool. Now, wait, you're supposed to be a representative for this company, and you don't even know about their latest and greatest product, but but everyone wants their picture with you because you have their logo on your butt, you know. And uh, and I knew right away that I better really really focus on my education at that point because i can't compete with a logo on a cute butt but i can <laughs> compete with a dunce so uh, i can't you know, compete with it either <laughs> no you can't so Ugh. but whatever whatever you know i'm not complaining about it either i'm only i'm only observing the game as i see it and uh and for me, like I said, the satisfaction comes from educating people and sharing that knowledge with other people. Uh, the sharing amongst peers is a common thing that we we uh, have built into the fishful thinker mantra, and that's really what it comes down to for me. I'll tell people anything they want to know about fishing uh, without any problem at all. People say, don't you get tired of sharing your spots or your stuff? And I'm always like, no, because worst case scenario, I just got to be a better fisherman than you when I get there. I'm a little pickier about hunting spots because of the draw system. Because right. I may not even get to go. It's not a matter of me competing against you as a hunter if I can't even go because you and 25 of your buddies got the tags that I was hoping to get. You know? Right, right. So I'm a little tighter with, with, with spots, but certainly not with knowledge of how I do it. And, uh, you know, and but other than that, I, I share any aspect I can. And, and ironic to this conversation, too, is I love to cook almost more than I love to hunt and fish. And so those two go together you know, very, very handily, uh, if you're going to be an outdoorsman. And, uh, and so I'm very, very fortunate in that regard that I live primarily on, on game that I harvest and, and fish that I harvest. That's all. And I, I definitely want to touch on that here in just a second. Um, cause I too, I'm, I, I love to cook. I don't know that I like to clean up after I get done cooking, but I do, yeah. I do like to cook. Um, and, and one of my most favorite things to do is to take something, say it be elk or deer or whatever, and cook it. And people go, that's wild game. And they're all, oh, last time I had it, it was so tough or this, that, and whatever. And I'm just like, well, it probably was overcooked or this, you know, there's so many other variables. But um, with with your hunting, uh, you, you had mentioned now how you tried to keep them separate and now they're just kind of molding together. Do you sometimes put your any type of hunting episodes on fishful thinker or is fishful thinker specifically geared towards fishing it is geared towards fishing uh having having said that we did a cast and blast show to kind of gauge our audience see what would happen so we went out and shot some ducks in the river first thing in the morning shot a limited ducks and then packed everything up and went on went on the ice and ice fished right there uh 
later on that, you know, that same day and did a cast and blast show and it was very well received. And so um, we're, we're doing more of that going forward. Now this year with, with the crazy things going on in society, we've been a little bit limited to how we were able to film. We got behind obviously with all the travel restrictions. So I did, it's probably not going to happen this year, but it will happen next year where you'll see some more cast and blast shows where we'll do a, a white bass and dove hunting show uh, down in Southeast Colorado. We'll go shoot a bunch of doves in the morning and then catch white bass all afternoon. Um, those kinds of things, as far as seeing pure, you know, big game hunting on official thinker, no, that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. They'll probably be small game and there will only be stuff that, that we can cook on the show. For instance, that duck hunting show, we cooked those ducks at the end of the episode. I cooked the duck breasts, uh, at the end of that show. And, uh, and we did that to, you know, to, to bring the whole thing full circle. But, uh, having said that my writing content is got a fair bit, um, of hunting stuff in it. And, uh, and that's because I do, again, believe a lot of the lessons carry over from one to the next, you know? And, uh, and so we do a bunch of content in there. I would like to be able to do some more hunting on video stuff, but I want to be able to do it on my own terms. And that, that's, that's going to have to be, I mean, I would love to teach people how to go shoot those, how to go, how to access the crop damage system for Colorado and get these crop damage tags for farmers that are being eaten out of house and home by doe whitetails and go shoot one of those does and and, and harvest it and and butcher it and have it be your first harvest. That's the kind of hunting show I want to do. I don't want to do another, you know, I've shot this 212 inch whitetail, you know, it's just, that's been done well. It's been done by people better at it than me. So what I would like to do is the, is the day one show, the hunting one-on-one show. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that's in my opinion, where the value in my value would be in the industry, given everything that I've, that I've been at, I work with Colorado parks and wildlife and they're pretty gung ho on that. Um, you know, and I think with this, with the Rona crowd, that's now out in the outdoors, if we can get a small percentage of those people to understand and stick around instead of just this, hopefully temporary thing that's going on right now. Uh, it would be, a, it'd be very important to our industry, uh, both hunting and fishing to get some recruitment out of what's going on. right now. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I was, it, it kind of blew me away, honestly, the, the influx of um, people more interested in where does that meat come from and how can I do that? Um, yep. I guess, you know, like you say, it is a scare like the coronavirus or you walk in the store and there's no meat on the shelf and not really much of anything. Else. I mean, there for a little while, it was like bare shelves, as you know, and it's just like, wow, yep. um, what, what's going to happen here? And, and <clears throat> what a, what a powerful way to be introduced in the way to being self-sufficient, you know? Uh, I mean, just like you are talking, the, the amount of opportunities that is out there that has absolutely nothing to do with antlers, anything other than I'm going to go out there, I'm going to make an ethical kill and I'm going to bring it home and I'm going to be able to feed my family. That's all. And that's, I think for somebody that is teetering on the brink of, well, I, I don't want anything to do with the Instagram trophy hunt. I just want to shoot something and have it for dinner. Um, I think you are 100% on the right path. I think that is a, a very powerful um, experience and topic. And and then you have meat. I mean, my gosh, once you learn how to cook wild game, you are, wow. <laughs> you are, you yeah. probably never go back. <laughs> 
No, and that's the thing. And I tell people there's a couple things about it. When people have, like you, I, I, my, one of my favorite things is to serve somebody a chunk of venison and have them be like, holy crap, that's good. I, my mom cooked it and it was nasty. You know, <laughs> and I tell them it, start, it starts from the time you shoot it yep. all the way till the time it's on your plate. There's no, it, it's, a, it's a series of events from the time it's the way it's cleaned, the way it's harvested, the way it's cleaned. Uh, you know, the way it's cooled as fast as possible and, and everything else that goes into making a really high quality piece of meat. And I told, I've told people, if you try, you know, treated your deer, like they treat a cow in a processing plant, it, it, I mean, that stuff's cold in 15 minutes, you know, they don't, it's not left hanging in a barn somewhere for two days, you know, it's cooled down and it's stripped off and clean and everything else immediately. And we try to do the same thing with all of our game. And you asked me a minute ago about, uh, whether or not the we would include hunting on fishable thinker and we have and the reason i i didn't clarify this small game is because i believe that that that's the easier one to get people to reach out to understand like it, for me to put a little bit of rabbit hunting on and show people how delicious white meat rabbit is uh, you know it, it it doesn't have to it's not it doesn't have the barriers to entry that a, a big deer has you know right if i want to go out and shoot rabbits i can do that almost anywhere in the country i can see this tv show you know, I don't have to have a big fancy weapon. I don't have to go scouting. I, I can do it on public ground. And yet I can come home with 10 rabbits that are absolutely delicious. And by the way, rabbits are extremely delicious if you haven't had it. And uh, and yet, you know, people don't even realize it. They think they see on TV so much. And TV is so centered on white-tailed deer. And, 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 you know, the reality of the situation or elk, it takes a big elaborate trip. And the animal that weighs 600 pounds, you know. Right. And uh, no. No, I can go shoot a shoot a, a half a dozen cottontails and make dinner for a bunch of people, and it is delicious, and uh, and it's easy peasy, and doesn't take a lot of tools, and you know whatever. And so that's one of the things I think. Uh, that's why we, we shoot ducks, or we'll shoot rabbits, or doves, or all the stuff that's more entry level. And you know, a certain number of people uh, will gravitate up the up the rungs to be trophy hunters, and that's fine. But uh, but if all you ever do is shoot rabbits and eat them, well, good on you. You know, you're you're still a valuable member of the outdoor community, and you're still buying and funding into conservation, and uh, and that's all great, you know, in my mind. So I got a neighbor kid I've been mentoring. We've been shooting fox squirrels here for a while, and the, the kid's 12. He can process a fox squirrel in like five minutes. And, <laughs> that's uh, awesome. We, we cook every one of them, you know. We cook every single one of them. They I've heard squirrels we, great. We become, oh, fox squirrels delicious. So you would, you would think it was dark meat turkey. If I served it to you, you would say it's dark meat turkey. And, uh, and so if you like turkey thighs, well, you or turkey legs, you would love squirrel in my opinion. And, uh, and that we make all of those. And I've been, I've been teaching him this whole thing, you know, so he's never shot any big game, but he can, he can process your Asian dove and he can process a, a squirrel in no time flat. And I mean, process it, like cut it all the way down, brine it, braise it, eat it, you know, an hour and a half after we kill it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so I think those are important skills that people need to learn more than, how to hang a tree stand on this 110 point white tail, you know, or whatever. So <laughs> and I keep joking about that, but if you go look at, you know, any of the outdoor programming, the vast majority of it's white tails. And so right. they're easy to, you know, and I love hunting white tails. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, but it's still fun to poke at a lot of the shows, <laughs> you know, that's the classic got him. Ah, you know, and oh, I smoked him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. And so, I think, I, I think too, uh, introducing people to bird hunting and small game. Um, not only does it 
does it satisfy all of those needs and wants and topics that you suggested? But another thing I think it does is it doesn't seem so daunting, right? You go out, you shoot a cottontail rabbit, you pick it up, you go home. It's not I'm like sure. I, I need to figure out how to get 300 pounds of elk meat out now. What the heck am I going to do? You know, and where am I going to put it And And how am I going to cut all this up? And, and it just goes into this whole great big thing that a small game, you don't have that. And not to say that somebody can obviously get into small game and then be, okay, I'm ready. But boy, is it going to be a heck of a lot easier to learn on small game and figure out what you need to do. And then maybe jump into something a little bit bigger. But <laughs> Absolutely. Plus you learn all the skills of being in the woods. You know, if you're going to go shoot squirrels with a rifle, you got to have decent rifle skills. You know, if you're going to go uh, bird hunting, you, you've got to learn your weapon. You've got to learn some basic stuff that then will carry over to when there's more on the line. You know, the, the, the thing, the, the thing that's a, a pet peeve of mine is people that hunt, but they only hunt for two weeks out of the year, the week before season and the week up season. And my point being is they don't have their guns. They don't, I've worked with sports warehouse a lot. Guy will come in and buy a brand new gun. It's literally boresighted. He's headed for the woods with it. And, uh, you know, and I see that kind of thing going on and it, it just freaks me out. But if, if he had, if he had gone, done a bunch of small game hunting instead of, Hey, my uncle's going to take me elk hunting. And now he doesn't know anything about anything. You know, it doesn't have the basics of it. That's a rough, rough deal. So now I'm a big advocate of the small game and there's, you know, there's, you don't, no one takes up fishing and goes marlin fishing on their first try. You know, uh, why we think we need to go shoot giant elk or whatever, uh, right off the bat is we don't, at the end of the day, we just don't. And, and small games accessible to barriers to entry are low and, and they're good. I mean, that's the other side of it. It's not like deer and elk are the only thing that tastes good. To be honest with you, uh, a cottontail rabbit we keep talking about, it's one of my favorite things to eat. They are absolutely delicious. There's a reason they're so popular in Europe, but for whatever reason, Americans don't don't gravitate to them. But uh, but they're really good. They're really prolific, and um, you know, great. You know, first hits free kind of thing. They're they're the cheap way to get in and, and see what you think of it. Maybe test your own morals. Some not everyone's cut out to kill stuff. I fully get that. You know, right. uh, I know people that won't kill anything, but they'll eat anything I put in front of them. Yep. You know, that's yeah. fine. I'm okay with that. As long as you're not judging me for shooting it, you know? Yeah. Um, then, my mom is actually that way. You know, it's interesting <laughs> you bring that up. My mom is, is she has gone out and hunted one time with my dad where she carried the rifle. And then I think I'm, they both had tags, you know, and my dad ended up shooting and cause she couldn't do it. And I mean, she'll go, but when it comes time to, you know, Hey, there's the elk or deer or whatever. Um, she'll either turn around or whatever. She doesn't want anything to do, but she will eat it and cook it until, you know, the world ends. So that's, that's that. It, but to your point, there's zero judgment. You know what I mean? <clears throat> right. That's right. That's right. And that's why, you know, I found out from, from a couple of people I've taken them out when, when they're having some concerns with, with this cocktail rabbit that's still twitching, I tell them either you, Either don't go big game hunting yet, get a little bit more of this under your belt, or maybe consider not. Because when you walk up to a, a big game animal and there's any sign of life still in it, you are going to be unhappy with yourself. And right. I don't want to see people that way. You know, I, I fully understand the, cir the circle of life. And uh, don't get me wrong, I don't have a death wish, but I'm not afraid to die. But I know everything's gonna at the end of the day. And it's yeah. not happy. No, no, no big game hunter is ever happy about seeing that. But some people literally can't handle it. And, right, uh, right. And, and then, then maybe it's not for them, but it's better to learn that on a squirrel or a rabbit. You know, I know people that can't kill a bee, you know, and so <laughs> yeah. that's not, yeah, but, 
but it's as long as you eat anything else, don't judge anyone else for doing it. Is how I look at it. And, uh, you know, and I will say this, there is one peeve of mine that I see these days and that's guys that, that hang deer and I see it more and more and more, uh, that still have, I've seen a lot of photos of deer that are bone stiff with no, with the gut still in them and the hide still on them. And, and I'm, you know, I, I get it. You want it to have good pictures and all that, but at the end of the day, it's food value first for me. And I don't care if it's that 217 inch mule deer I shot or, or a little doe. I mean, the first thing that's going to happen, I'm going to get a couple quick picks, but we're taking the hide off that thing right now. I want that thing to be cold as possible as soon as possible. And that's just how it is. I prioritize the meat over anything else. The skull will still be there. The horns will still be there. I can still get my pictures, but guys that'll, that allow hide and guts to stay in meat for six hours, uh, seven hours, eight hours for the sake of pictures is definitely a concern of mine. I see the same thing with fish on a dock. You know, to me, that's wanton waste. If you're going to eat those fish, kill them and fillet them, you know, don't, don't let them get warm on the dock, you know? Right. So I'm a big believer in care in the field of your meat is, is the most important thing we owe the game animal, you know? People give you a hard time about shooting a trophy animal. I say, yeah, I'm going to enjoy that rack after I get done eating all that meat. I'm going to enjoy that rack the rest of my life, but that meat's going to let me thrive for a year, you know, but I'll have that big rack on the wall the rest of my life as well. Just because he had a big rack doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I didn't enjoy the meat from, it, you know, Yep. and, uh, and they are not mutually exclusive. Trophy hunting and meat hunting are not exclusive. Uh, but I've seen some guys take it and make it almost exclusive by almost guaranteeing that that meat is nasty. Uh, by not getting the guts out and the, the skin off. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and actually that, that kind of uh, is a great segue to uh, the last talking point that I want to jump into. And that's, you know, obviously we're talking about meat care and field care and all that kind of stuff. And like with Outdoor Edge, um, I know that you're working with them and you've been using their knives for a long time. Um, so, when you go, I would really like to touch on maybe the variety of knives that you use in, say, your fishing scenario as opposed to your hunting scenario and maybe why you've chose that specific knife. Does that make sense? I, yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it's easy for me because keep in mind, I knew about Outdoor Edge knives and been, been using Outdoor Edge knives for a long time prior to, to them even being in the fishing field. So my initial experience with them is with uh, with their, you know, traditional hunting knives. And so the first outdoor edge knife, I think the first one I ever bought was the old swing blade, which is a fixed blade traditional knife, but with a push button and it rotates from being a, you know, a, a drop point, like a skinning knife, and then has a, um, like a, a gut hook or a, a blade, you know, a splitting blade for cutting hair, cutting the, cutting the hide open on the other side. Uh, that was probably the first one that I bought from them. And that was long time ago now. And I still have that one. And I carried that um, as an excellent way. And then from there, I carried also the four and a half inch uh, flip and zip saw, a little folding saw. So I carried those two items uh, with me for deer hunting on a regular basis. And then as time has gone on, I started working towards uh, the replaceable blade knives. I got to where I got spoiled by replaceable blades, basically because I'm lazy for sharpening knives. And, uh, and so I got into the razor light series with the replaceable blades. And then I found the Razor Pro because that had the same things as the swing blade, only in a replaceable blade. And that's the one I've been carrying for the last several years now for big game is the Razor Pro. And, uh, and the replaceable blades, the thing I like about them is they're extremely sharp. They're more durable than what you think. 
they're thicker than the competitors' blades, so they don't break. They're more durable blades than some of the competitors' blades out there. But at the end of the day, they're just very, very sharp. And if I'm in the field, I don't have to carry a sharpening stone. I carry an extra blade or two, and there's no weight to it. I don't have to take the time. If, if worst case scenario, I, I were to break a blade or a blade gets dull, I cut too much hair or something, uh, then I can swap it out real quick. And so that's the one I carry in the field uh, these days. For small game, uh, I'm, I'm more into the Razor Max. For whatever reason, the little Razor Max has been a really fun thing for small game for me that's one that i'm using probably a lot these days um is a razor max blade and i just like the the fact that it's it's a traditional fixed blade but with a you know variable length blades on them and uh and i like our traditional fixed handle i should say um and so that's you know a blade that i throw a ton or use a ton i should say and uh and then here at the house uh when it comes to processing i use the game processor kit i i don't process all my own game because a lot of times timing involved uh where i will drop it off at a processor and go right back to the field and i don't have to deal with it because i've got multiple tags but i also do process a fair bit of my own game and when i do that i do it with the game processor kit here at the house and uh and so that that's worked out really well because it has all the tools you need to be able to uh, do that from the bony knives the big you know the big knives all the way down and so that's worked out pretty good but when they got a hold of me about the fishing stuff and wanted my opinion on fishing stuff, uh, it, right away I went first to the to the uh, you know the traditional fixed blade real flex fillet knife because that's what I was familiar with. It really didn't occur to me that a replaceable blade knife would be a viable alternative for a you know a fishing knife. So I had the real flex fillet knives. I was on the initial test team for those. Uh, it's a very traditional fillet knife. They didn't reinvent the wheel. It's got a really Grippy handle on it, a uh, couple different lengths, very traditional play. Now, I've had good success with that, and I prefer the longest version of that one. But I also travel a lot, so I carry the field bone or the fishing bone, which is the newer version of it, which is a folding fillet knife. That's one that travels with me. So when I go to Florida, I've got that thing I can use as a bait knife. I can use it, you know, as a fillet knife. It's just a little easier and safer to travel with, uh, and, and, you know, as, as with a still traditional knife. And then the... One that I've been using lately, which I'm really digging, is the razor fin replaceable blade. Again, I was on the test team for that. The razor, the the, the, re, the replaceable blades in terms of playing fish are probably even better than big game because they are so sharp. And you can fillet a fish with no effort at all with those things. I did some testing by filleting carp, but I don't know if you've ever filleted a carp. No, I but haven't. Carp's got well, they've got massive bones and massive scales, and uh, and you want to test a fillet knife, fillet a carp, and uh, and so that's what I did. And what I found is that thing held up fantastic. You don't have to resharpen it. Obviously, you can swap a blade if you need, but those blades are real sharp. So um, that's the other one I've been using more recently. Obviously, that's a newer newer product for them. But um, the replaceable blade for me is probably going forward. The replaceable blade play knife is probably going to be the one I'll stick with more than anything else. And it goes back to me being lazy about sharpening knives. <laughs> it's funny. That, yeah, I, that's hilarious because I, <clears throat> I almost, not only am I not very good at sharpening knives, and you may be good at it, but I'm speaking to me. I, no, I'm really no, not. No. And I hate no. it. I, I like, I don't know that I like sharpening knives any more than I like doing dishes. <laughs> it's just, I just don't like it. Exactly. And, and even if you are good at it, you still can't beat one of the razor edges that are on those replaceable blades. I mean, that's like, it's like these days I don't sharpen fish hooks either. 
because I, there's no way I can compete with a factory chemically sharpened hook. And so I can't beat a factory edge on, on one of those replaceable razor edges. You know, you just can't, I don't care who good, how good you are at sharpening. So for me, you know, it, it's very easy. I don't like to do it. I'm not any good at it and I don't have to do it because of replaceable blades are affordable. And, you know, with that, with them being available in different sizes, I can, like if I'm playing a bunch of bluegills, I can put the short blade in there and have tons of controllability. But if I've got some, you know, 25 inch long walleyes, I need a little bit thicker blade or a little bit longer blade, I should say, well, I have that too in the same knife. And, uh, and that's very handy. Yeah. I, I, you know, I started off using the, uh, the razor pro I, uh, they have, as you know, they have so many, I'm, I, I get the names mixed up, but it was oh, yeah. the folding one yep. and it did great. And, uh, then they came out with the razor light and the razor max. And it, my first thought was, I was like, you know, this thing doesn't fold. I don't know that I really like it. And actually Dave, when he handed it to me, he said, you know, this might not be for you because you like to backpack hunt and usually you, backpackers prefer a folding style knife, which is, uh, I would definitely not argue that. And right. then it made it in my backpack as I was out stalking mule deer in on one of my hunts last year. And I shoot this buck and I fell in love with that razor max. And then on top of it, it works amazing for cutting up meat at my house too. <laughs> and yep. I just, just like to say, being able to change the blades and know that when you open that package, it's going to be razor sharp. Uh, that's to me, that's almost peace of mind. You know, I, I don't, especially, <clears throat> you know, you're in a hurry or whatever else, or you're, you're working on an animal and there might be grizzly bears around. Like, I don't want to sharpen a knife. I just want to click on another blade and get back to work. And that's right. Yeah. Well, it's, well, funny, it's funny you say the grizzly bears thing, because I, I was fortunate enough to win a hunt through the, through the, uh, uh, pro membership sweepstakes. And I got to go hunt Kodiak bears on oh, the Indian reservation, Kodiak Island. That's and, so uh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a once in a lifetime, uh, five, five plane rides to get there, five more to get home, uh, dropped off by a float plane in the middle of nowhere. You're here for the next six days, float plane ain't coming back. So you're on your own, no cell reception, no nothing. And Oh, by the way, you're hunting for bears that are 12 to 1500 pounds and and 11 feet tall. (laughs) And, uh, and you know, and, and it's one of those little eye opener deals, but, uh, but the cool part was the guides. We had a couple of guides with us. The guides all had replaceable blade knives for that same reason. They're like, we don't have time to be sharpening blades. We, we, we get one of these bears down. First of all, it's a four hour process to skin it in the first place. Second of all, somebody has got to stand there and guard with a rifle while the rest of the bears. So the other bears don't come get it. Cause once you cut that hide open, all the other bears smell the fat from the bear you shot and they want to come get them. So I literally had to stand there and guard while these guys are peeling the skin off because you're in country that's got lots and lots and lots of great big bears. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was interesting for that, but you know, you, you mentioned the razor max too. Uh, if I'm picking one at this point, after 10 years of using outdoor edge knives or more, if I'm picking one knife for my all around knife right now, it's the razor max because I, I can swap the blade sizes out. It's incredibly reliable knife all the way around. And like, it's lightweight, it's simple. Um, that's the one I'm picking. I'm picking one knife uh, that they make for hunting and fishing, small game, big game, you name it. Right. And, and one thing on top of that is that handle on that Razor Max fits so well into your hand. It's just crazy. It's so comfortable. Yep. The knife, yep, the knife is lightweight. It balances well. Um, you know, there's, 
there's a lot of reasons why. That's the other thing people don't think about. But the the, fix, the traditional fixed blade knives are heavier than the replaceable blade knives, and that may not matter a lot. But to a backpack hunter like you, it might. The original swing blade I have is like three times heavier than the Razor Max. Right. And uh, you know, and so those things add up when you're when you're backpack, and they maybe don't matter so much for a guy that hunts out of a day pack like me. But uh, but it definitely matters to a guy that's 10 miles in the backcountry. And I'm going mountain goat hunting this year with a buddy of mine. And I guarantee you every ounce will count. Right. 100%. And it does. When you get in situations like that, it does. Um, I mean, not only not only did you spend all the time preparing to go on this hunt, you spent all the money as well. And the last thing that you want is a bunch of stuff in your backpack that you just don't really need. And nowadays, I just... With, with how reliable and well the, you know, the knives like Outdoor Edge work, I, I just don't know why you would, I mean, I, I guess, let me take that back. If you have a knife that is passed down from your granddad or something like that, and it really means something to you and you take that away, I get that. But my gosh, if you're just going in there and you're buying a knife because you need a knife, but I, I just don't know why you wouldn't get something like an Outdoor Edge Razor Max. I just don't get it. Nah, I agree. Yeah. If you're in this for the food, uh, yeah, then get the most efficient tool. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer in tools in the outdoors and, and, uh, and efficiency in the outdoors efficiency with my clothing, with my tools, with my, with my equipment, with my every, every, every part of my hunting, fishing, outdoor, you know, preparation involves efficiency. Yep. I try to be as efficient as possible and, uh, and, and familiar with my equipment and that's, you know, that's important. There's no the easiest way is to remove aesthetics. You know, people laugh about, oh, well, that thing's weird color, right? Because I got this new boat motor, right? And and, and it's a weird shape. And I was like, oh, geez, that's a weird shape. I'm like, yeah, but if you realize how good it worked, I don't care if they paint it pink and make it heart shape. It makes my <laughs> boat work really good. And I like it, you know? So uh, I don't care how traditional a non-fixed blade is, replaceable blade knife. I'm not in it for the tradition. I'm in it for the game meat and, uh, Yep. And I don't lose any. And just for the record, that Razor Max is a fantastic foul for waterfowl and stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, you want to butterfly out goose breasts in a hurry, that thing will go right through them. So it uh, works, works pretty pretty real good for that as well. And I feel the more detailed the work is, the better you are with the ridiculously sharp replacement blades. 100% agreed. Yeah. Well, Chad, I, I honestly can't thank you enough for taking the time out today to hop on the podcast. Um, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to the listeners. And uh, we covered a lot of really interesting topics. And I look forward to hopefully having you back on in the future and we can dive deeper into some of those topics. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to do it, Zach. And, and you know, if you've got a specific topic in mind you want to talk about, I'd be glad to do that from, from, from hunting, fishing, or cooking standpoint or any really the outdoor skills. And I uh, would love to do it and uh, keep me in mind for the future. And if you're ever in Colorado, let's, uh, let's get together and uh, go, get, go get something hunted down. Thank you for listening in. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. We hope to have you tuning in for the next episode.